I want to speak tonight. The title of the message is The Lord Among Us or Not. The title comes from Exodus 17, verse 7. The children of Israel were coming out of Egypt. And the foremost question in their mind, the question that they kept asking over and over again, and I think we're asking that today, many of us, and I put myself in that group, is the Lord among us or not? The answer is yes. Are we seeing what God is seeing? And I want to also emphasize, are we saying what God is saying? Several people came to me this week. These are people of faith. These are people I respect. And both of them were saying, I'm not sure we're going to be able to buy groceries very soon. And I said, is that what God is saying? We have to be very careful how we speak. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Interesting, death comes first. Why? Because usually death comes first out of our mouths. No matter what faith we claim, these are tough times. And we are going to need some special skills. We're going to need to see what God sees. And we're going to need to say what God is saying about our situations. And the passage I want to start with tonight is out of Numbers chapter 13. Give you some backstory. The children of Israel have come out of Egypt. Incredible, miraculous things have happened. The plagues, the Red Sea has parted. They have survived in the wilderness now for a year. They've had their first Passover anniversary in the wilderness. And now it's time to go into the promised land. This is what they've been waiting for. Time to go in. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is Numbers chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to be reading in the ESV. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel, thought leaders, influential people, the intelligent, the wealthy, the skillful, specially chosen to go and to bring back data. So Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is. 
and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are in camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some fruit from the land. This was the season of the first ripe grapes. Verse 22, they went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Ahimon, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. They came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch of a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. I want you to note that when they came to Hebron, they saw some giants there. They saw some giants. They saw them in one of the cities that they were sent to explore. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. This large cluster of grapes they're carrying on a, on a pole between two men. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. We saw giants there. Now, I remember when I was on the wrestling team in high school. Before the match, now if you played football or basketball, it was a team sport, but if you were a wrestler, it was a very individual sport. And I would always be looking across to see my opponent, and what did I want to know? How good looking he was? No. How big were his muscles? I wanted to know how big his muscles were. And then I was what? Comparing them to mine. You don't have to know a whole lot about wrestling, but is muscle the only thing that matters in a wrestling match? No, no. Now, there's some other things involved than how tall or big or strong somebody looks. And I want you to keep that in mind. They were getting psyched out by what they saw. But here is the data coming back. And we are awash in data. We have so much data coming at us. And what we're going to do tonight is get a framework for how to interpret it. The Amalekites dwell in the desert. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites are in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Basically, they're saying, 
when we went, we were thinking we were going to find some Bedouins, a couple of shepherds. But the whole land is full of warring tribes. This is not what we expected. This doesn't look like a promised land to us. But Caleb, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now there's some truth. Same data. Same data. They saw the same things. Heard the same sounds. Saw the same people. There's some pushback. Got ten of them saying, this is the way we need to interpret this data. Two of them are saying, no, no, we, we see a totally different interpretation of the same data. Then the men who had gone up with him said, now listen to this, once you get a little opposition, listen to how the story grows a bit. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Oh, there's an imagination. Now we're getting something about this imagination. All the people that we saw in it are of great height. They actually saw the giants in one little city. But now all of them are of great height. There's some exaggeration going on. But the God called the report. Just telling what they saw, he called it a bad report. I'm just reporting the data. I'm just saying to you, we may not be able to buy groceries soon. Just reporting. God calls that a bad report. We have to be very careful what we say. We want to be on the side of the good report. But that's not typically the majority side, as we're going to see. All the people that we saw are of great height. Oh, here it is. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Nephilim. They are referring to something thousands of years before. This was before the flood, actually, Genesis chapter 6. Some people read that, that there were angels and humans that had children, and these were this giant race. It's basically they're saying, we saw Bigfoot there. We saw the Sasquatch. In fact, we saw the whole country's full of them. They are using these terms that haven't, you know, basically these are campfire stories that they tell. They didn't do genetic testing to see if these were supernatural creatures. They were using data and spin to get what they wanted. To get what they, now, why would these 10 spies 
what interest possible interest would they have in not going in? I want you just to think about that. I'm not so sure that all of the children of Israel were all at the same level of slavery. How do I know? I know some of them were foremen. Not all of them were slaves. Some of them actually would probably had businesses. They had a quota of bricks, but once the quota was made, they could do whatever they wanted. I have a feeling some of them were actually doing pretty well there. Those were the ones who very quickly would want to go back to their original position. People have... They have agendas. They have motivations. There are reasons why people want things to be a certain way. And for whatever reason, even just to be heard. Maybe they had positions in Egypt where people were listening to them. They were important. Well, guess what? Now everyone's sort of the same. Except in this episode, they get to be the boss. They get to be the chief and go into the country, and people have to listen to what they say. So they are going to be a little rebellious and sort of say what they think. And not necessarily ask, what is God thinking here? What is his agenda? Why, why did we come all this way? Because listen to the response. Listen to what these thought leaders, what happens when the smartest people, the wise guys, the gifted, the wealthy, start to speak in these kind of terms. Chapter 14, verse 1 of Numbers, then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. They are so scared, they are just crying all night. I mean, this is how many thousands of people? This is like stereo weeping Moses is listening to. This is, this is tough for the leaders. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we would have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wow. Did they forget some events that have happened to get them out of Egypt? But has anyone experienced the kind of fear this past year that makes you forget some of the things God has done for you? I have. We need to be very, very careful. The data, is this what God is saying? Is this how God sees what we're seeing? Interesting. They, they were not afraid of dying. They were, they're okay dying in Egypt. They're actually okay dying in the wilderness. They just don't want any pain. They don't want to suffer. Ooh, that hits home, doesn't it? What if I get sick? What if I have to suffer? What, what might happen to me? 
I mean, everyone, this is on our minds. What if we have to suffer? What must we do not to suffer? Wow, our faith is being tested. This is actually really good. This is, this is good stuff. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. Wow. The man who parted the Red Sea for them is now on his face in front of these people. This, First of all, what a humble, amazing man. But they're saying, guys, this is not going well. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land, an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. For they are bread to us. I mean, this is a, this is a lunch snack. This is nothing, people. Listen to this. Their protection their protection has, is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So Caleb and Joshua are seeing, the Lord has removed their protection from them. They're seeing in the spirit. They're seeing something incredible about this data that everyone has seen, but they're interpreting it 180 degrees. Let's go in. This is like a walk in the park. This is like a lunch meal. Their protection's removed. This is going to be nothing. And the other group, they're giants all through the land. In the report in Deuteronomy, it says, their walls are fortified to the heavens. And we don't have the implements, we don't have the technology to take those walls down. They were right. They actually didn't have the technology to take those walls down. How did the walls come down? Oh, God had some different idea about this. So they're reporting the data accurately. Big walls, tall people. God said that is a bad report. They gave the people a bad report. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. I find this fascinating. If you want to go back to Egypt, I mean, there's the road. I mean, what's stopping you? I mean, get your leader and go. Why do you have to kill or cancel the people that are actually trying to help you? Why do you have to kill those that are telling you the truth? What, what is it that's necessary about that? Do you see how valuable the Bible is? How, this is why we're reading it tonight, because I want you to know how rich this is and how this is speaking to us. It's speaking to me. And I'm telling you, there is so much here 
It makes you understand a little bit, oh, you have to cancel out the people so you don't feel so bad about your fear, about the choices you're making. You have to get rid of them, silence them. You can't just choose a leader and go back. That, that would have been okay. No, it's not okay. You have to destroy the people who are telling you the truth. That's important in this equation. I just want to stop right now, and I want to ask this question. I want us to spend a minute, because I don't think that I'm the only one in this room who's had some problems with fear this past 18 months, two years. That this is something that is actually affecting the very fiber of our lives. It's affecting how we live, and it's affecting our joy. It's stealing it. It's stealing it. And if I'm getting comments of people using their imaginations going forward, saying we, we're not going to be able to buy groceries. People, that's, th these are people of faith. We, we need to take a time out. We need to look at these stories and say, am I giving a bad report? Have I been giving a bad report? Because what we're doing, death and life, are in the power of the tongue. We are exchanging the power of our words for sympathy. We're exchanging the power of our words for a bit of sympathy, a bit of um, drama, a bit of just what the news gives us. Why? Because then people pay attention to us. It makes us feel powerful. Speaking evil, speaking bad reports actually makes people feel very powerful. Look at the effect on the people. It made the whole congregation weep all night and get ready to stone them, and get ready to go back to Egypt. Bad reports have a lot of power. Well, I want to, I want to pause right now. And I think, I think some of us have some repentance to do. I think there's just, if, if you've been speaking a bad report, if you've been saying anything to anyone, or even thinking it, or even feeling it, or how about some hopeless despair you've been caught up into? Oh, this is never going to get better. Oh, this is never going to, you've been saying or thinking things that God is not saying. God doesn't live in fear. He lives in joy. He had a plan for these people. They were his people. We are his people. In fact, we're under a better covenant, a better covenant than he had with Moses. We have a better one. Jesus living in us. And if you don't feel like he's living in you, you're not so sure, tonight would be a great time to, to clear that up because we want to get ready to go into our promised land. But I think this weekend, I would love to just spend a minute, if some of us need to do some repentance, some honest time with God. I'm going to give you a minute or so right now. Let's just take a minute and let's just spend time with him. And he understands. He understood these people. What he loves, who he comes very close to is people that say, yes, that's me. I repent. God, I want to, I want to speak a good report. I want to see life. I want to see life right here, right now, the way you see it. So let's spend some time confessing and repenting. Uh, and, and even giving thanks for all of us who are here and healthy tonight. Spend a minute of silence.
All right. The text, Numbers 14, verse 36. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, the men who brought up a bad report died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive. So the next day, the people get up and they say, okay, we're ready to go into the land. Yeah, they, they say, okay, we've sinned. We're ready to go into the land. Let's go. And, and Moses said, no, God said, do not go into the land. And they try to attack a city, and they're defeated, and a bunch of them die. So in a sense, their bad report was correct information. They couldn't take the land on their own. They had that right. But what I want to ask you is, in 24 hours from we want to stone these guys and go back to Egypt to, hey, we're ready to go, let's go, what happened? I mean, we, we need to, why this dramatic change? And all the people who gave the bad report died. They saw, ah, we don't want to be listening to those people anymore. Not a good idea. And the glory of the Lord showed up. They saw the glory of the Lord at the tent of meeting, and there were consequences for their unbelief. Had they had some unbelief issues before? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great for you to read numbers or starting with Exodus and take a look at some of this. I want to ask a question now. Do you think the people had a misconception about what the promised land would be like? I've been thinking about this this week, and I've been thinking when we say promised land and we talk about it in a church or Christian context, typically we think of heaven. We think of no problems, no work, no struggles. You've got your promised land. You can relax. You are well-fed, you have all the comforts, you don't worry about anything in the promised land. I believe they thought the same thing. I think they thought there were just some shepherds there, this was not going to be a problem. And when the report came back that there were giants in the land, this was going to be a much bigger deal than they thought, they had a choice, just like we do. You can grow your faith now, or you can live in fear and go back to Egypt. By the way, what was Egypt's culture like? They had, they keep mentioning it here in the scripture. They had, sounds like all the food that they, they had food on the table, all the food they wanted. They had leeks, melons, garlic, onions. My Romanian wife would love the garlics and onions. She loves to, garlic is one of her favorite things to cook with. So they, they had food on the table. Little pro I mean, the slavery issue, well, we can overlook that. But they have food on the table. We didn't worry about anything. We were told what to do, where to be, and we had food on the table. 
And we are seeing today people who will sell their souls and their freedom for food on the table. And I believe this is our greatest moment. This is our greatest challenge. And we have seen the promised land, and you can use this metaphor anywhere you like, any way you like. Perhaps here in the United States, we live in the promised land. The giants are trying to throw us out. You can, you can play this any way you want, but there's something here that is so rich and so valuable and so beautiful. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it by speaking a bad report. So I want to take another minute and I want you to ask yourself if you have had some misconceptions about the promised land which God is taking you into. Because honestly, for many of us, this is the first situation of significant opposition we have had in our lifetimes. We have lived comfortably. We have been well-fed. There has always been food on the table. And now, twice this week, we're not going to be able to have food on the table. You know, it could be that some of us actually need to prepare for war. Right? If you're going to swing a sword, if you're going to be in a war, if you're going to have to miss a meal, you might want to practice fasting. You might want to pick up some spiritual disciplines about this season. This, this may be a good time to do that. Because if you're so afraid of missing a meal that you may sell out your Savior, your God, you're not, that's not going to be good. Your physiology and your emotional health affect your spiritual health. And many of us have tried to separate those. We've heard it, no, oh, no, just have someone pray for you. If you are not healthy, if you are not eating well, sleeping well, getting some exercise, you're not optimizing your temple and perhaps you're not ready for war. You're not ready to go into the promised land because the promised land, we've got to change our thinking about what that phrase means. It means God is going to help you conquer your enemies, whoever's against you, and your fears. And whatever point you think you're not going to be able to do it, he's going to say, oh yeah, Oh, yeah, we can take down those walls. Those walls, oh, I've got a special way to take down walls. No, you don't even have to worry about the walls. I'm going to surprise you how the walls are going to fall down when you march around them. So let's take just a a few minutes now. I want you to sit with the Lord, maybe with your journal, or just, just asking him, what do I need to go into the promised land, this next season ahead of me, of us, me, my family, my community. What am I going to need physically, emotionally? Do I need to spend some more time with you relationally? The problem the Israelites had, I don't see any record of anybody praying. There's no record of relationship with God here. They are screaming, crying, wailing, trying to blame Moses and trying to kill people. And, And nobody's praying. Nobody's checking with God to see what he thinks. He has to come in and intervene. What if we could just check with him now and see what he thinks? I think he actually is honored when we check with him. Uh, hey, what, what do you think about the giants in the land? What do you think about the, the virus in the land? What, what, are, what are your thoughts about my the things that bother me right now? Because as we 
heard earlier tonight, he is concerned with the things that you're concerned about. So let's, let's take another minute right now. Let's talk to God about your promised land. What we saw here in this passage is what we see so often. And a term for it in psychological terms is emotional contagion. The emotional negativity and the fear spread like a virus. And you had people who had seen incredible miracles. They they walked through the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted for them. They saw the army destroyed. Emotional contagion by catching other people's emotions. It takes strong people. It takes people who know their God to say, whoa, stop, stop. Something about this not right. I'm going to pray about this. No matter what and who is saying it, I'm going to pray about this to decide if this is the path that I need to take. All these decisions we're making about our health now, what we put in our bodies, these are very spiritual decisions. Very spiritual decisions. I would say very individual decisions. And so we need to make sure that when we're going to make a decision to take something that we don't exactly know what's in it, we need to be sure that God is saying, that is what I want you to do. That is my path for you. It's important. It's important to keep your joy. And it's important to pass these tests because ultimately we are friends of God and we can expect him to come to our rescue. So Father, I thank you for everyone who's come tonight. I ask a blessing Lord, I I ask that our emotional contagion would be with faith and that we would see the opportunity in front of us to mature even tonight, even tonight to grow, to say, I'm growing my faith. I'm no longer speaking death in my home with my friends, with my family on the phone. I'm not watching that newscast. I'm not getting this feeds on my phone. I am going to speak life. I am going to grow my faith, and I'm going to be ready to enter my promised land. I'm going to be ready to fight. This is a spiritual battle. In Jesus' name, amen.